And thanks for coming back. Those that were here this morning, I'm glad I didn't scare you away. And you came back to give God a second chance. And uh, thanks for being here. Thank you, Pastor, so much for this opportunity. And it is such a privilege. I, I can honestly say this is my first time to Jenna, Louisiana. Hopefully, see, I can't even say it right. See, I just proved to you that I've never been here. That's as honest as I can be right there. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've had the privilege and honor to be an evangelist for 20 years. I've been in the full-time ministry for 25. And some of you are going, did you start when you were five? Or oh, come on. Give me a little bit. Yeah. Uh, God is, is so good. And uh, some of you weren't here this morning, but I, I'm a full-time evangelist. And I have a wonderful, beautiful, amazing wife. Uh, uh, she's she's not here uh, today, but she travels with me most of the time, and uh, it is uh, uh, so amazing to have a wonderful wife that that supports uh, the calling, which is a great sacrifice. We spend our lives on the road uh, already. Uh, I you know I, I was looking kind of at my uh, account with United Airlines, and uh, uh, let me tell you, they know me very well. I have flown with them for 20 years, and uh, I'm getting ready to hit my 2 million mile mark of actually flying, not like bonus credit card miles or anything else, that is actually flown 2 million miles, I've flown actually over 2 million miles with them. Other airlines, I've flown hundreds of thousands, about 2.75 million miles that I've flown. I've been to 55 countries, 45 of the United States. And then, you know what? Every day that I get an opportunity and chance to come into the house of God with people, just like I've met today, it is so refreshing to know that there are people, brothers and sisters in Christ, that even though I may have never met you, when I came in here, I felt like this is showing up at my family. And you know what? The presence of God was so real this morning and i know the presence of god is here tonight and he wants to do something specific he wants to do something specific in your life you know what a lot of us do when we come into the house of god we we operate in a gifting that's really not there it's really not and that gifting is we walk into the house of god and we say uh well god i wonder who the message is for tonight we look around and we go, well, I hope they're listening. Well, I hope they're getting it because pastor's preaching to them. You know what, God? He wants you to be a little selfish tonight. He wants you to realize that, you know what? This is not about anybody else tonight. It's about God touching my heart. Because you can't walk out there and face this week without hearing from God. You see, God's the only one that knows what we're going to face this week. And the reality is that some of us are going to be challenged like we've never been challenged. There may be a crisis. There may be a tragedy. There may be news that you had no idea that was going to happen. One week from today, something can be completely life-shattering. Also, something could be great. There will be temptations this week that God only knows about. And so that's why we have church and that's why we need church so that we can show up as the family of God and we can encourage one another and we can be there for one another. You know what? There's a lot of people out there that would love to think that there's a substitute for church. 
Well, let me tell you, there's no substitute for being a part of the family of God. You know what? It's important that we are coming together uh, every week to hear from the man of God and have them pour into our lives. But it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. It's when we go through the challenges of life that we know somebody is going to stand in agreement with us. And we are not faceless. We are not just some lost soul, but we are part of a family. And thank you so much, man. This is a great Sunday night crowd. And, and um, you know, as I, I mentioned this morning, one of the unique parts of our ministry, most evangelists, uh, we, we preach week in and week out here in America. We just go from church to church. Uh, but one of the unique things about our ministry is, is God many years ago, he, he had him, he put a mission's heart upon me. He says, I, I'm not going to give you just a heart for America. I'm going to give you a heart for the world. And when, as I shared this morning, God called me to one of the things we do is, as a soccer salvation camp. So they're called soccer salvation camps and, and, and crusades. And we've had the privilege uh, of doing these around the world. We just celebrated our 40th one that we hosted in Osonoro, Chile. And shared some of the stories this morning. We go, we work with a local church. We help them reach their community for the kingdom of God. We reach, we go out, sign up to 100 to 150 kids that are not saved. They don't go to church. And then we bring them in for a free three-day soccer championship. But at night, we have a crusade where we reach the entire family and, and the entire community. And I was I was thinking about some of the situations. I remember uh, we were just, uh, had just done the first few of them, and it was September 2001. Remember where you were on 9-11? Remember what you were going through? Well, eight days after 9-11, we had been planning for months. I was going to take a team to the city of Fortaleza, Brazil. And Fortaleza, Brazil is a city I had been to one other time. And this church... And the pastor and his family, they became like one of my many second families. I got a lot of second families around the world. And that is just so humbling that I could, I could show up in, in cities and nations around the world. And, and people would literally have me come and I could stay in their house and, and, and they would take care of me. And this pastor, this is a pastor that is over like 400 churches around Brazil uh, they have over 50,000 people in these churches that is under him. And there in Fortaleza, he caught the vision of soccer salvation camp. So he invited me to bring a team and come to Fortaleza, Brazil, and do a soccer salvation camp. Well, it was eight days after 9-11. The world was in chaos and fear. And it would have been very easy to cancel because I was taking team that some of them had never flown. Most of them have never been out of the U.S. They had to get their passport for the very first time. Some of them were under uh, the age of 18, so they were minors, and parents were counting on me. And something, uh, you, you, can't even, you can't even make this stuff up of how much the enemy was fighting this. So this is what happened. I spoke Sunday morning in Austin, Texas. That afternoon, I flew to Chicago to meet the other team that were flying across the United States and meeting in Chicago. We flew all night, 10 and a half hours to Sao Paulo, Brazil. The thing about Brazil, if you've never been to Brazil, and, and, and some of maybe you're planning to go to the Olympics this summer in Brazil, but one of the things that's unique about Brazil, uh, for most countries as an American citizen, we only need our passport and we can show up and they will allow 
allow us in for like 90 days at least without having a visa. But Brazil uh, requires uh, for Americans to have a visa. And what that means is we have to send our passport off to the Brazilian consulate. There's one in Houston. There's one in D.C. There's one in Miami. And you have to send your passport off in a form before you go on your trip and uh, get them approved, and they will stamp a visa into your passport. That is the only way you can get on the airplane to fly to Brazil. You have to have a visa before you get on the plane, or they will not allow you to go. I had been to Brazil twice. I had my visa. The whole team had to get their visa. So we arrive after flying all night, and I ushered the whole team and one by one they went up to the person and they stamped and they said welcome and they walked on and then it was my time i'm big mr world traveler been all over the world been i've been surrounded in muslim countries in a missionary's house as they began to rock us i i have been in situations that is so dangerous i've seen people being killed right in front of me i've 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 seen things that you can't even imagine this is a no-brainer. I'm just walking through, and I walk up, and he takes my passport, and he looks up at me, and he says, you are not welcome. <clears throat> Your visa is no good. You're not allowed to come in. And at that point, you get really, really sick feeling. And all of a sudden, all the blood rushes to my head, and, and I begin to plead my case. First of all, the audacity of them not to let me in, and I'm here to help them. I am there to reach out and help them. I've been there before. No, my visa is good. He says, no, it's not. I said, it's good. I got a five-year visa. He says, no, your visa is only 90 days. I said, it's not possible. I was here last year on this visa. And if it was only 90 days, then later, earlier this year, and earlier in 2001, I came back to Brazil. And they let me in. Same visa. It was much further than 90 days between my first visit and my second visit. It was, in fact, months. He says, no, it's no good. I said, it's not possible. Look, I have the stamp. I've been in here twice, two different years. You can see the passport stamp. And he says, no, it's no good. He took my passport and he said, you will be confined to this airport. You will be required to get your own ticket, the very first ticket you can get back to the United States which is not till later that night. So after flying all night, and I'm standing there, and this whole team was on the other side, and I couldn't go with them. And they're standing there, and they're scared, and they don't have the money, and they don't have the contacts, and they have to go get their luggage and go recheck in to a domestic airline and fly three hours to a city they've never been before, and they don't speak Portuguese. And I'm standing there, and I'm freaking out, and I'm going, God, what in the world are you doing and I'm standing there, and, and, and then I just go into, you know, kind of a, a survival mode. And an airline employee, I said, please take this money and give it to them. Tell them what to do. And, and they rushed off, and I called the church, and I said, they're on their way. Please be there at the airport to receive them. I sat there all day, and I, I'm stressed, and I get the first plane ticket to Miami that night. I flew all night back to Miami. I got there at 4.30 in the morning. I had to wait till 
9 o'clock in the morning. I showed up at the Brazilian consulate and I stood in line and I got up there and I pleaded my case. I said, you don't understand. I was just in Brazil last night. I'm supposed to be there. I have a team there. They're saying my visa is no good, but it's been good. I've been there. I said, I need a same-day visa. i got to get back there. i got to take the flight tonight to get back there, please. They said, we don't give same-day visas. I said, please, please consider it. I left my passport. I went off for the day, and I prayed hard. I came back at 3 o'clock. They said, we don't do this, but you have a visa. I got back on a plane for my third night in a row to fly between the U.S. and Brazil. I flew. I arrived the next morning, the third day after I started. I was the f- me and another guy. The planes are empty. Nobody's flying. Everybody's afraid. There was a VIP on my plane. We got off. Me and him were the first two. There were people meeting him at the airplane to whisk him to the VIP line in customs. I walked up. No other flights had come in. So we were literally only two. So I go to the regular nobody line. He goes to the VIP line. Everybody notices this guy that's going to check my passport, my visa. He recognizes and realizes who this VIP is. And he's looking over. He literally stands up. He has my passport in my hand. He doesn't even look at my passport and my visa. He just stamps it because he's consumed with who the VIP. I'm like, God, why didn't you give me this guy the other day? It would have saved me so much grief. I got on the plane, I flew three hours to Fortaleza, and I arrived to one. No, they're not scared, they're not upset. No, for three days, this team of young people is having the best time of their life. They have been taken to the beach, they have been taken out to restaurants, they have went riding horses, and they went to see them, and I'm like, this is not even fair, God. They're like, really? Can you get you know, deported more often. We go and do the camp. There was an 18-year-old young man, never been to church, never been saved. But God had a destiny plan. He loves, he loves soccer. He got invited to the soccer salvation camp. And in that camp, he got radically touched and saved and changed. On the last day, we always have the championship. This is a big deal. You have to understand when we hand out the medals and the trophies for the championship, this is something that this is life changing. They, they have never experienced most of them. They only dream of having the chance to be a champion with soccer. And, and it was an amazing day. And Hundreds of people have come out for this championship game and, and the two teams. But you know what? The enemy, he's going to fight to steal, kill, and destroy. And so he had a gang show up. And they incited a riot. And a literally, like you see on TV in foreign land, you see the riots and hundreds of people running up and down the streets. And, and rock, uh, rocks and clubs and stones are being hurled. And literally, the riot police are called in. They had to rush us to a van to get us out of there literally fearing for our lives and literally this is this is all this chaos is happening and all the while god is saying i have planned for this moment because there are lives that are going to be changed and you know what that young man nobody got hurt nobody died but a young man got saved i i went back several years later and come to find out that this young man that it would have so 
easily been a camp that was canceled because of 9-11. So easily it could have been canceled because I got deported. It could have been so easily. Everything shut down because of the riot. But God says, I am I'm touching this young man's life. And can I tell you, today he is a part of that church. He is called to the ministry. He got, he got discipled and poured into by that church. And now he's in the ministry. He is married to a wonderful, beautiful Christian wife. And you know what? That just goes to show us that in all the chaos of this world, that it seems so out of control sometimes that God is specifically doing things. And we could tell you literally stories like that all around the world. I'll never forget the time that we were invited to come to Sibiu, Romania. You've been there as well, right? Yeah, right? You, you've been there, you know. You have. You've been to Sibiu, Transylvania area. You know what this area is known for? It's where Dracula is from. You know what his name really is? Vlad Dracul. Vlad Dracul was a leader. He was, he, he was the leader. He was, a, he was an amazing, he's a hero in Romania. He's not, you know, a vampire. That was what Hollywood did. You know why they took Vlad Dracul and turned him into Dracula? It's because he was known as a bloody dictator. I mean, he dealt with the enemy, and the enemy of the Romanians then was the Turks. It was the Turkish people, and when the Turkish enemy would come in, he would set an example by impaling them alive and sticks in front of his castles, and that was a huge motivation not to invade. Amen? So I got to go to one of his castles, and it was literally exactly like you would imagine. I mean, it's this beautiful castle in the Transylvania Alps, and and you go up this 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 mountain, and it's like foggy that day, and 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 you you get to go into this castle, and you get to go everywhere, and there's like torture chambers, and it's just it's just amazing, and and, and literally there's all these little vendors all around selling. Dracula, little mementos and stuff, but really he was a he was a leader of the country of Romania, and his pictures is is in all the schools, and and so we got to come to a, a beautiful country, an amazing country, and at one time we were invited to come to Sibiu, Romania, to do a soccer salvation camp, and out of all the thousands of children in Sibiu, there was one young man named, and his name was Radu, Radu was raised in a Romanian Orthodox home. His mother was a Romanian Orthodox. And the thing about that religion is that it's just a religion. It's based upon ritual, not on relationship. And what was so cool about this opportunity is Radu could come to a free soccer salvation camp. But he couldn't come to a regular Christian service. So the way that he was being reached by the love of God is to be able to come and play a soccer championship. He came and he was so excited. But the thing we didn't know, he didn't want to know. He didn't want us to know. He didn't want to tell us because he knew he wouldn't be allowed to play. He was very sick. In fact, he had been battling an incurable disease for an entire year. And the doctors in Romania couldn't do anything. And the incredible thing about this is not only did he get to come and play, he was on the championship team. They won the championship. And the incredible thing about this, this camp that stands out of all of them is we had some one-of-a-kind one 
Soccer Salvation Camp medals made out of black glass that you only find in this part of Romania. There was a local artisan that literally engraved our Soccer Salvation Camp logo on each one, but the, such a frustrating thing happened. On the night of the crusade, hundreds and hundreds of people there, and we're going to make the presentation and the trophies and the medals, but the medals weren't done. I was like, God, this has never happened. How could this happen? They've known about this for months. I was so frustrated. We had this big presentation, crusade, an amazing time, but we didn't have medals. And the next day I had to get on a plane and fly back to the U.S. I got back to the U.S. and a few days later, the medals came in. And so our leaders went house by house to present to each championship team member we went to their house and presented the medals. Well, they get to Radu's house. And the mother answers the door. And they say, we're here to present him his medal. And she says, well, you'll have to come to his bedroom because he's very sick. He's very weak. So they went into this bedroom and they put the medal around his neck. And he was just beaming. He was so happy. And the mother began to tell about the day that we gave him the soccer balls as we always do. He burst through the door and just came and just began to hug and kiss his mom and say, Mom, look what they gave me. They gave me a soccer ball. And he just couldn't believe it. And he was so happy. And that day, he was just beaming at that, now that championship medal around his neck. See, the reason I'm telling you this story and the reason I know this story is because just a few days after that, he received something far greater than that championship medal. He received the crown of life because Radu died. And it hit me. First of all, the only way I knew that any of us knew about this story is because the medals weren't done. We would have never went back to the house to individually make that contact, potentially, if we didn't have the medals delayed. And then I got to thinking about this. God, wow. You know what? Anyone that ever can say, God doesn't know who I am or know my name or know where I'm at, this challenges that to the very core. Because of all the countries in the world we could have done that soccer salvation camp at and championship, he chose Romania. And out of all the cities in Romania that we could have went, he chose Sibiu. And out of all the thousands of children in Sibiu that we could have invited it, Radu was in the camp. And then even more specifically, out of all the kids in the camp, Radu was on the championship team. All that because God knew there was a little boy and he's getting ready to die. And he needed to know about Jesus. It broke my heart to hear about this, but I checked the list. We checked the list. Out of the 100 kids in that camp, 88 received Jesus Christ. And guess who was on that list? Radu was on that list. But an even greater list is that. It's the list that is in the Father's hands. And I said, you know what? If I ever get the chance to go back to Romania, I got to go to Radu's house and I got to talk to that mom. 
I got the chance the next year, never imagining that this would ever happen. And I went there and I got an interpreter and I went to Radu's house and we went and I knocked on the door and I, 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 I got to talk to the mom and I told her who I was and she invited us in. And we went into this humble Romanian home and I, I went in and I sat down in the kitchen and I sat across from a table from a mother that was so broken hearted and she began to weep and cry because all she ever had put hope in was a ritual, was a, was a religion and she had no hope and she sat there and she began to weep and cry and say, I miss Radu so much because he was such a good kid and he's been gone over a year now and I'm missing so much. He's dead and I'll never get to see him again. But let me tell you, it wasn't a sad moment. It was a desperate moment for this evangelist. No, it was an amazing moment because I got to sit right there and tell a mother, let me tell you about your little boy. Let me tell you where he's at. He's not dead, but he's alive. In fact, mother, let me tell you one day you can see your son again. All you have to do is receive Jesus Christ into your heart. I'm believing one day when I'm in heaven walking down the streets of gold, a little boy's going to come by kicking his soccer ball. And the only reason that happened is because of people like you and people like me that said, you know what? Life is not about just getting a bigger house and a newer car and another boat or another RV or another trip. It's literally about making an eternal difference. And that's why we do what we do. That's why we're going to do our 41st one. God's already raised $800,000 since 1999 to do these camps and we're able to feed them. We're able to give them a t-shirt and a Bible and a soccer ball. But greater than all of that, we get to give them the greatest gift of all and that's the gift of Jesus Christ. And the only way we can do it, we are completely faith-based. We are completely dependent upon people of God standing with us and saying we want to help you we want to rent buses we want to we want to rent stadiums we want to we want to invest in the lives of people and every church that we commit to do this with we bring in the finances and we bring in the vision and then their responsibility is to go out and reach their community and then follow up and disciple everyone that gets saved in the camps every night we have a crusade we have an amazing time and we thank God for the opportunity for chances like this to meet Radu. I, I want you to stand for the reading of God's word. I, I, I want you to open your heart to what God has for you right now. Genesis. Genesis chapter 37. Thank you so much. Please check out our website, ronroads.org, or our Facebook. You can see pictures of all over the world. And if you ever want to go, we take teams with us all the time. And you go, Ron, I don't play soccer. <laughs> well, you and I have something in common. I don't either. Your only qualification to come is one of love on kids. And there is nothing like throwing yourself in a situation that you can't speak the language and you can't play the sport. But there is a common part of this. And that is getting to reach out and minister the love of Jesus Christ to kids. It is life-changing. You can find out more about being a part of the team, supporting our ministry on our website. Genesis chapter 37. If you have a hard time finding Genesis, we need to talk. If you found it, say amen. Amen. 
Genesis chapter 37, verse 5. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. Father, this is your time and these are your people. Open our hearts to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Anybody have a brother or sister? Don't be ashamed, really. It's okay. You, you can admit it. We're amongst friends, right? Anybody have a brother? Anybody have a sister? Anybody have a twin? Well, guess what? That makes me unique. I have a twin. Not a twin brother. I have a twin sister. And please, please, please don't ask me if we're identical. You say, that's kind of silly. Well, then, would you please tell the thousands of people over my lifetime that have actually walked up to me knowing I have a twin sister and proceed to ask, are you identical? Really? Girl, boy. We don't look alike, but we definitely cannot be identical. I have an older brother, he's two years older than me, and I have a twin sister. My twin sister is ten minutes older than me. Believe it or not, I am so old that apparently they didn't have sonograms, ultrasound technology back then, because my doctor and nobody else knew I was in there. It was a Sunday afternoon... At 2.10, my sister was born. My doctor was already bitter because he was on the golf course and he had to leave his golf game to come in and give birth. And so my sister came out. She says, I'll take the brains out of the dill. Left me stupid. And the nurse proceeds to tell the doctor, doctor, there's another one in there. He said, there can't be. I have never missed a set of twins. Well, there's always a first time, right? Ten minutes later, voila, here I am. And this was a day that dads weren't allowed in the labor room. I'm still not sure if that's a 
positive or a negative? Come on, ladies. Is that good or positive for them to say, oh, come on, honey, you can do it. And about that time, you want to punch him in the throat or something, you know. And, and so my dad was out in the hallway just walking back and forth, just pacing. You know, I got this, you know. We're going to have a little girl. It's all good. And then they proceeded to come out and said, Mr. Rhodes, you get two for the price of one. You not only have a little girl, but you have a little boy. And thus was the beginning of a life that right from the start, uh, we were premature. I was a month premature. I had Highlands membrane disease. My lungs weren't fully developed. I had a 50% chance of living. I was taken to the NICU and would struggle for the next month to try to live. But God is a God that he doesn't make mistakes. And God, we began a life that he would very early on give me a dream, just like Joseph, as I just read to you about a young man that had a dream. And can I challenge you tonight? There are some of you that walked in here tonight, and you're at a point in your life that the dream is so dead and far gone that you don't even have a lot of motivation for life. The joy's been taken out. In fact, there are some tonight that you walked in here, you don't even have a dream. You don't even know what your purpose is or where you're called There are some of you that everything in life up to this point is to try to take the dream away. You've been through tragedy. You've been through pain. You've been through so many challenges. Just like Joseph, he's excited. Just like if you had an experience and a moment with God, shouldn't you be able to share it with your family, right? Shouldn't that be the ones that you can count on to be excited. Joseph's like, brothers, I had a dream. We hate you. Dad, I had a dream. Shut up, kid. You think me and your mom and your brothers are going to bow down to you? Who do you think you are? Isn't that the way it happens so many times? Our family hurts us the most. The ones we love. The ones we're married to. The ones we're born into. Strangers, people that we don't, they can't hurt us. They're not invested. They don't love us. It's the ones. It's our family. It's our church family. It's our physical family. Sometimes it hurt us the most. And here's Joseph, you know, he's like, I've heard it from God. And he's like, listen, friends, listen, listen. I had a dream. You know what God wants to do? He wants to awaken the dream again. He wants to reawaken. He wants to give somebody a dream tonight. But you got to know that the enemy wants to stop that dream before it even has a chance to begin. He wants to convince you that it's a lie, that it was emotion, that you're not anything special. I, of all people, I am not special. I was raised in a poor family. My mom and dad, blue-collar workers, didn't have a college degree, nothing special about them. My dad was a propane truck driver. My mom had a multitude of, of jobs, just one job to the next. But they worked very hard, and, and they took us to church, and they raised us in the Word of God. And yet, nothing would say that I would ever have a chance to have a dream. I'm not the type of person that 
I remember growing up and, and we were so poor and, and I remember, you know, the cars that we drove and the house that we lived in. I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed of my clothes. I was embarrassed of everything. I mean, when you're growing up, especially in high school and you, you are trying to fit in, you're trying to get the right clothes, the right car, the right house, the right friends. You want to play sports. You want to play an instrument. You want something to go good for you. And and when you go to check off any of those on the list and you get to check none of them off, not so easy to have a dream. Like, if I was going to count on my clothes, the reality is that my dream was shattered was the day that my mom came to me and says, I want to make you an outfit. No! No, mom! You are a wonderful mom, and you make really good food, but no. But she proceeded to go to the local department store, and she went through the material section, and she searched until she found the finest lime green polyester. She even thought it was so cute to get one of those little tags, you know, uh, that that's... The, the brand, you know, American Eagle or Hollister or, or, or Polo or Nautica or whatever you like to buy. And she thought it was so cute to put inside my lime green polyester suit, proudly made by mom. My dreams were shattered that day. When your mom makes you something, you can't put it to the back of the closet because Aunt Thelma gave it to you. No, you got to wear it. The car, when my sister and I turned 16, that my dad thought we needed was their old car and he would sell it to us for $450. You would think with your own dad, you would get a bargain. But $450, trust me, was not a bargain. It was full price for this piece of junk that he was trying to unload on his two kids. This, remember Uncle Buck? Remember the, the movie Uncle Buck? That car had nothing on our car. I mean, it was the ultimate identity crisis on wheels. It was the dream destroyer. I mean, it was the biggest thing you've ever seen. It was so big, it floated. If you didn't see me coming, you smelled me or heard me. I mean, this thing was the ugliest green, dented in, rusted out. And I can assure you, I'm probably not the only person in this room that had to use a stapler to put the ceiling back in the right place. I know I'm not the only one to use duct tape for your car. I know when I got on my high school campus, I made sure nobody was around. I parked far away from everybody else and I would quickly get out of the car and go, whose loser's car is that? Oh yeah, it was mine. I, I, I remember like my home growing up, my brother and I, we lived upstairs and you're thinking, well, it's a two story house. No, that was the problem. It wasn't a two-story house. My brother and I lived in the attic. No joke. And it was not an attic that was remodeled and sheetrocked and made into a bedroom. No, 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 no. Not a chance. 
The only thing that made it our bedroom was when you walked up those stairs, we put two pieces of plywood over the rafters and stuck our beds on top. You do not want to sleepwalk in my bedroom. Step off, step down, you know. There was no air conditioning. There was no heating. It was just rafters and insulation. No joke. I'm not making this up. I mean, I would lay there at night so hot, sweating, itchy insulation falling all over the top of my bed. And one night I'm laying there trying to go to sleep, desperately trying not to realize I am sweating my guts out. It is so gross, so smelly. And I look up and a big old snake comes crawling down above me. But come on, is that really a bad thing? Because when's the last time your dad told you to get your gun out and shoot in your bedroom? Like, Duck Dynasty has nothing on me. I just couldn't grow facial hair until I was 40. If you came to spend the night with me, you had to get a tetanus shot and sign a release waiver. Because we didn't know if you were going dead or alive. We had scorpions, we had wasps, we had snakes all in our bedroom. You did not need to go outside to experience the wild outside, the kingdom. I was embarrassed in my house. I was embarrassed in my clothes. I was embarrassed in my car. And you're thinking, well, you know, you 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 look like, you know, you kind of put together and you look like, you know, you fit in. Surely you played sports. Surely you were smart. Surely, you know, played in an instrument you could sing. You were in the, you know, the high school musical or you some, no. No, no, no. I'm not joking. My sister, smart, top of the class, straight A, blah, 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 blah. Top of the class, blah, blah, blah. You're like, you're not really being honest with us, are you? Yeah, I'm really being honest with you. In fact, for the sake of the gospel, for full disclosure, I will share with you some experiences when I was in high school. And some of you are saying, well, I haven't been in high school in 30, 40, 50 years. The reality is, is we all understand that it is our foundational years that will determine or destroy the dreams that God has planned for our lives. And there are some of us in the room that we're still not pursuing the dream because we were so destroyed and the dream was so wiped away because of the way people treated us or our situation that we were born into or the home that we were raised in. I remember one day I was a junior in high school. It was in history class. I was paying attention, taking notes. And for some unknown reason, our school district in Weatherford, Oklahoma, could not afford these expensive things called Kleenexes for our tissue. So our wonderful school district decided instead of having Kleenexes, we will put rolls of toilet paper in every classroom for tissue. So one day while I am taking notes in history class, the guys behind me were not. And they unrolled a long strip about 12 feet long of toilet paper. And without me knowing it, they stuck one end of it in the back of my pants. And then the bell rang. And I still didn't know it. 
So here goes Ron Rhodes trucking across my high school campus and I am streaming in all my glory. I mean, everywhere I went, I just, this long strip of toilet is streaming out of the back of my pants and I know it and everybody is falling over laughing. I mean, everybody. And I still don't know I'm being humiliated in front of my entire high school. And I kept asking everybody, what's so funny? What's everybody laughing about? And can you believe they lied to me? So ironically, I was, I was getting ready to walk into the guy's restroom. And right across the entrance from the guy's entrance is the lady's entrance. And about the time I come around the corner, I'm getting ready to go into the restroom. Four of the most popular girls on campus come out of the bathroom and they see me. And they go, do you have a problem? And it was at that realized I, I realized I had a huge problem. And that was the moment I realized I had just been humiliated in front of my entire high school. And you know what? It's really funny now. I mean, come on, that's funny. But that day, it was a dream-destroying day. I wanted to go home and never come back. I wanted to go and shut myself in a locker and never come out. The reality is, is you say, Ron, why are you sharing this on a Sunday night in church? Why are you sharing something that seems so trivial? But yet the reality is there are moments like this in every one of our lives that we find out very quickly what is our foundation. We find out very quickly, are are we so vulnerable to the strategy of the enemy? Because the reality is there are people killing themselves. There are people committing suicide. There are people giving up on the destiny and the purpose of God in their life because life can be very cruel at times. Life will not always ask you how you feel about how it treats you. It will not ask you if it's okay for your parents to get a divorce. It won't ask you if it's okay for your dad to walk out on you. It won't ask you if it's okay for you to be abused by your uncle. It won't ask if it's okay for you to be mistreated by the kids at school or if people at work will make fun of you if every day of your life you are told you don't measure up, you are not special. A year went by and it was my high school graduation. And if you don't believe in miracles, I am standing here as a miracle because me graduating from high school was a miracle. And it was going to be a special night. We were the very first class in our district to graduate in the brand new gymnasium that at our high school that had just been built. So it was a really special night. It was going to be a good time. This was, family came out because the twins are getting their diploma. Friends, relatives, whole town comes out. We're a small high school. Everybody knows everybody. 125 in our class. As I shared this morning, my daughter had 990 in her graduating class. So it's time. Just like two nights ago, I was at Lloyd Noble Center at my niece's graduation. And that time that I stand up and one by one you walk over and you stand next to the person that's going to announce your name. And the person for our high school graduation was 
He was one of the coaches. He was one of the teachers. He was the assistant principal. In fact, he had been one of my teachers. He knew me. I'd been one of his students. Everybody knew everybody. And so my moment to shine, my moment that, man, this was one of the dreams coming true. I was going to graduate from high school. And I walked up and I stood next to our assistant principal and he announced to the entire crowd that the next person that will receive his diploma is Rhonda J. Rhodes. No, I didn't make a mistake. And for all of you that are thinking that's my twin sister's name, it is not. He didn't change it. He didn't say, ladies and gentlemen, I made a mistake. No, now at my most special moment, it is one of the most humiliating moments of my life. I walk up on stage. I am sweating. I am red. I am embarrassed. I cannot believe this happened. He didn't correct. He didn't say, ladies and gentlemen, I made a mistake. So I walk up there. I get my diploma, my picture, and all I'm thinking, I got to get off this stage. I cannot believe this is happening. And I started walking over here, and I'm going to step back down the steps and go back and stand with my class. And I began to think an optimistic thought. What if everybody has begun to talk themselves out of hearing what they really heard? We're in a gymnasium. It's brand new. Sounds do weird things. And as I'm thinking that optimistic thought, no joke, I am not making this up. My entire class at my high school graduation begins to chant, Rhonda, Rhonda, Rhonda. Talking about a dream destroyer. Ten years went by. Time for ten-year class reunion. You're going, you really aren't smart, are you? You did not go back. Please, Ron, tell us you did not go back. I did. I went back to my 10-year class reunion. You know why? (laughs) It was a little different. God had been good. I went off to college. And I did so well in college. I was so smart in college that I turned a four-year degree into a five-year plan. Some of you are going to get that tomorrow. And you probably also have a five-year plan. God had been good. Graduated from college. Starting to travel around the world. And you know what else? God bless me with a new car. Oh, praise Jesus, I'm showing up. I'm going to park right in the front. I'm going to click my little key fob extra time so it goes beep, beep, just to let everybody know. I'm getting out of my car. I want them to see me get out of a new car, not the green monster. Uh-uh. And God had been good. Not only had he worked on the inside, but he worked on the outside. Some people called me a late bloomer. I don't know what that means. But things were different. You bet I'm going back to my 10-year class reunion. I get out of my car. I walk up to about 60 of the 125 people that showed up for our 10-year class reunion. And you know what? They didn't recognize me. Woo! Praise God. They begin to whisper, who's that? Who's that? We don't know who that is. And you know what? I got an award. Bless God, I got an award at my 10-year class reunion. You know what it was? 
the most changed award. Come on, the last time they saw me, I was Rhonda. Now I'm Ron. That's a big change. That was a joke. If you just woke up, I did not used to be a woman. I'm not making this up. They gave me an award. They actually gave me an award. You know what it was? A mirror. You can't make this stuff up. They gave me a handheld mirror. And on the back of it, they put my junior high yearbook picture. That's just cruel in any part of the world. That's just not wrong. I mean, this is wrong. I got a word for any junior hire in the house. Praise God. God's not through working on you yet. You're not going to look like the rest of your life. Praise God. You know what? They looked on the outside. The guy that they made fun of, the guy that didn't get included, the guy that didn't stand out, the guy that was embarrassed of where I lived and the car that I drove and the clothes that I wore. And I never stood out and they didn't cheer my name on Friday night. I never made the local newspaper. It was nobody special. I was just lost in the shuffle of life. And yet at my 10-year class reunion, I got an award for the most changed award because they looked on the outside. But the reality is my greatest moment at my 10-year class reunion, my proudest moment at my 10-year class reunion is that they knew I was the same young man that was a Christian and had Jesus Christ in my heart. And I was called as a minister to share the gospel around the world. And you know what? They asked me to pray at my 10-year class reunion. That was my most special moment at my 10-year class reunion. And all I got to say is big, 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 big mistake on their part. Because I don't know if they thought I was going to say, rub, dub, dub, thank you for this grab. Uh-uh. No, no. I'm a Pentecostal Holy Spirit fire field evangelist of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray. <laughs> Woo! I want to pray. You know what? Life can be very hard on dreams. It can try to do everything it can to destroy the dream of your marriage, your calling, your your career, your children, your grandchildren. I've traveled this world and I've come across the most heart-wrenching situations that you can imagine. I'll never forget the mother. A mother of teenagers walked up to me one night and she said, when I was 12 years old, my brother raped me. I got pregnant and my dad maybe had an abortion. Had a 63-year-old man walked up, towered over me and he looked at me because he was molested by an uncle when he was five years old. He was on his third marriage. His life had been being destroyed consistently by drugs. And he stood in front of me in a church so broken and realizing that his dream at 63 years old had consistently been destroyed because of the unfairness of life. 
A lady walked up to me, 55 years old. She walked up to me because she had been molested by a brother. And one month before, as a 55-year-old woman sitting in church week in and week out, year after year, yet the dream destroyer of something so unfair when she was a child, one month before I walked into that service, she had tried to commit suicide. I remember speaking on a Sunday morning. I got up and began to share about a young man who was 15 years old and he lived in the great part of town and he had a beautiful house and his dad made a lot of money but the dad didn't understand that the one thing that a son needs to know that makes the dreams possible in his life is to hear the words from his father, I love you son and I love you more than money and I love you more than my career and I love you more than the things of this world. I love you son. And because this 15 year old had never heard the words, I love you from his father, even though he had everything given to him in life that the world said was valuable. He didn't have that one thing that we need to hear. And that's the love of a father. And so he picks up a shotgun and he sticks it up to his heart and he pulls the trigger. And the last thing that that father ever experiences with his son is holding his son while he's dying because the father didn't even have time to say, I love you. So I'm sharing this story on a Sunday morning in church. And before I get to the point that I share that this young man committed suicide, the pastor senses where I'm going. He understands where I'm going. He knows I'm getting ready to share something because you know what I did not know is one week before in that same church, in that same setting, there was a couple that goes to that church all the time, a husband and a wife. They sat there through the message of their pastor. They had a great service. They went home that afternoon, had lunch, and then were sitting on the couch next to each other on a Sunday afternoon. And the wife doesn't say a thing. She gets up, she walks into the bathroom, and she blows her brains out. The pastor is the fireman chaplain for his community, and he gets the phone call. And so literally from that morning of being the pastor and speaking to that life, there were people sitting in his church The dream was being destroyed. And they didn't even know how. To experience hope and joy and healing. And the reason I share that story tonight is because somebody is here in this room and God knows where you are and you're struggling and you're overwhelmed and you don't have answers and you're searching and it seems like the dream is destroyed. It seems like it's too late, but God's sharing this story to let you know that he understands right where you are, just like where he knew Radu was. And you were being told tonight that there is hope and it's not over and you don't have to do the unthinkable. You don't have to give up. You don't have to quit. Before I finished the story, before I could even get the words out, all of a sudden the unthinkable happens to this evangelist. The pastor stands up, walks up to the stage, takes the mic out of my hands. Because he's a shepherd. He knows that I don't know that that woman killed herself one week ago. And the thing I also don't know is that husband is now sitting in that service one week after his wife killed himself. Killed herself. 
so he doesn't he doesn't know what to do but just stop me. You see, we live in a world that's very painful. There are things that will happen that you should never have to go through. There was a little boy, he was 10 years old. He went to church that morning with his family. There was a man in the church that after that service on that Sunday morning invited the little boy over for the afternoon. He said he would feed him lunch. He could play with the kids in his neighborhood. And so the little boy was excited for a new opportunity and went and asked his parents if it was okay. And they said, yeah, just be back at church tonight. So the boy went over to this man's house, had a quick sandwich, and could hear the kids outside playing and ask if he could go out. It was at that moment that that little boy would find out the ultimate evil and the unfairness of life because that was the moment that the enemy chose to try to destroy the dream, the calling of that little boy's life. See, that man was in that church and he was trusted that he wasn't a good man. In fact, he was a child pedophile. And he took that little boy back to the back room of that trailer house and shut the door. And all afternoon, he began to sexually molest that little boy. And it didn't matter how hard he cried for help. Nobody heard and nobody came. And then that man threatened that little boy. And he said, if you ever tell anyone, I'll come and find you and I'll hurt you and your family. That little boy went home that night so devastated and broken. And he was so afraid. So he didn't tell anybody. He didn't tell his parents, even though they would have been there for him. In fact, 11 years went by without telling a soul. Young man was now at a college that he was attending. And God would begin to deal with him about his past and his hurt. And God began to tell that young man, if the dream of his life, the destiny, the purpose of that young man's life, if it was going to be realized, he had to deal with his past. So he wrote a letter to his mom and dad and began to tell him what had happened. They received the letter and they called that young man up at the school that he was attending and they were weeping and broken as any parent would be as they began to talk to their son. And that father began to tell his son, son, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry I didn't protect you. I'm so sorry I wasn't there. I'm so sorry that we didn't know all these years. But that son was able to tell his parents, it's okay. It's okay, dad, that you didn't know. He said, I had another dad and his name was Jesus Christ. And every night that that little boy would cry himself to sleep and so overwhelmed and the enemy would use fears and phobias and the attack and using that horrible afternoon as an open door to try to destroy that young man's life. Jesus Christ would fill that young man's room and would embrace him and touch him and help him. And so he was able to stand there that day and tell his parents that he was not destroyed. He wasn't damaged goods. No, he was a young man with a destiny and a purpose. He was a young man that God had called and given him a dream. And no matter what the enemy tried, it would not work. And the reason I know that story is because that little boy was me. 
Statistics tell me my dream should have been destroyed. It should have been destroyed as a 15-year-old young man with my brother and sister on a Friday afternoon. And all of a sudden we hear the unthinkable. We hear our mother screaming and crying from her bedroom. And we run in there to see her holding my dad's shotgun. And life just got too much. The woman that played the piano every day was raised by pastors, was in church her entire life. And yet dreams can be challenged even when you are a mother or father, even when you are in the church. And she is now begging her teenage kids, show me how to use this because I can't do life anymore. Thankfully, my mom didn't kill herself. Thankfully, I'm not in prison. I'm not dead. I'm not destroyed because of what Satan did to me. I'm alive and well. I'm not special. I'm just someone just like Joseph. That even when the world hates you so bad, they want to kill you and throw you in the bottom of a pit and then they sell you as a slave and you're taken to another country and even though you keep your identity in Christ, once again, life knocks you down and you find yourself in a prison that you didn't deserve even though you did what was right. And then you feel like you're forgotten in a prison and you wonder if anybody knows or understands where you at. And yet, but you kept, you keep realizing that the God that gave you the dream is the God that will sustain the dream. He will protect the dream. And in order to protect the dream, he has to protect the person. And I'm here to tell you tonight that God loves you and he heals you. And even though God just realized just a few years ago that the Satan was going to try something new and my wife and I were in a hotel room in Istanbul, Turkey, in a Muslim country to see if it was possible to do a soccer salvation camp. So the unthinkable happened. The enemy attacked me in such a way that my wife thought I was having a stroke or a heart attack, but I was having a grand mal seizure. It struck me and shook me so ferociously that I bit a huge chunk out of my tongue and blood streaming out of my mouth and white foam was coming out. And after an entire minute of being shaken by the enemy through a grand mal seizure, I completely collapse. I'm completely unconscious. I know nothing. And I collapse in a heap on top of the bed. I stop breathing. I turn blue. And my wife, 14-hour flight from home, nobody with her, nobody to understand. She realizes she's just watched her husband die in a most graphic way. And yet there is nothing to do in the physical She runs to the elevator. She's in her pajamas and her bare feet. She's screaming and crying. She's like, this is it. My husband just died. She gets to the, the lobby and she screams, somebody get the ambulance. Come help. Ambulance gets there. They rush up to the seventh floor. They run into the room where I'm supposed to be laying there dead. And when they walk in there, I stand there tell you that God, no matter what the enemy wants to do, God is the God that heals. He's the one that resurrects. And even though I should have died that day, my eyes were open and I was alive. 
Some of you say, well, maybe it wasn't that serious. Let me tell you how serious it was. That grand mal seizure should have killed me. It didn't because God is the God of second chances. But the reality is what it did do is it broke my spine in three places. I've been diagnosed with cancer. Flying to Brazil at 36,000 feet at 4.30 in the morning over the Amazon forest on a Boeing 767 on a United Airlines. The right engine falls off the wing, unheard, unthinkable. And God lands that plane without any incident because God is a God that will cradle you in the sky with angels at 36,000 feet. He'll watch over you when the enemy is shaking you so bad through a grand mal seizure that it would have killed most people and so powerful that it fractures and, and breaks my spine in three places. He will release cancer in your body. He will release an incurable disease in your baby little girl. But God says, I'm the one that gave you the dream and there Therefore, here in 2016, I will show up on a Sunday in, in a church in Louisiana so somebody can hear the words that there is hope today. And even though it feels like your marriage is over and your finances are, are in the tank and, and you have no hope and you've been destroyed and you've been overwhelmed and you've been attacked and you've been raped and you've been abused and you've been made fun of and you've been rejected and you've been told you don't matter, I'm here to tell you today that God says, I love you and I know who who you are and you do matter. Everybody, please stand with me if you would, please, tonight. Father, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, your servant Joseph, those brothers that hated him and wanted him dead and sold him into slavery were now standing in front of the second person in command of the country of Egypt and it was their brother but they didn't realize it at the moment and he spoke those most famous words you intended to harm me but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives God tonight I stand here not as someone that's got it all figured out not as someone that is perfect not as someone that's never sinned and doubted no I've done all those things God, there's been moments in my life, the moment after 13 and a half years of a marriage, one year after fighting cancer, to hear the words of my wife, I've never loved you. You've done nothing wrong. You've been nothing but a loving, caring husband and father. But I can't love and I can't be loved and I can't be in a marriage because of what my father did to me and my mother. And so I choose not to face that. I allow my past to dictate my future. So I'm walking out on you. I'm done. I know what it's like to be laying in a hospital room going through Bible college to have my grandparents that have been the spiritual 
authority in my life to see these incredible pastors married for 49 years, getting ready to celebrate 50 years of marriage, 50 years of ministry, to hear the words from my grandfather that gave me my first chances to preach, say, I've been having an affair and I can't do this anymore. I'm walking away from your grandmother. I'm walking away from the ministry. I'm walking away from my family. God, there's people here tonight saying, Ron, why are you sharing such negative stories and such sad stories? I thought you're here to encourage us. And my answer to you tonight is, way too long we've been told, think positive, speak positive, and maybe that will be enough. But the reality is, is your life and my life, it's not perfect. It's ugly. It's broken. The moment when we walk out these doors every day of our life and we try to live as a Christian and we try to have integrity and we try to be the husbands and the fathers and the wives and the mothers and the brothers and the sisters, we are imperfect. And there is an enemy that wants to destroy us. There is sin that abounds in each of our lives. There are addictions. There's bondage. There's insecurities. There's depression. There's suicidal thoughts. And anybody that would be led to think anything else is not willing to face the truth but the reality is in order for dreams to be a destiny in order for dreams to come to reality we must first understand that life is very difficult and there will be challenges and it will be ugly and it will be painful and it will be so unfair at times but we can have a faith and assurance that no matter what we endure and go through that God will be there every step of the way, if only we'll give him the chance. God, I am a testimony of not a perfect man. I am a testimony of someone that hasn't went through anything. I'm simply a testimony of what God will do in our lives, no matter what the enemy will try to destroy. My daughter is 18 years old. I'm 46 years old. I've been healed of cancer. My mom didn't kill herself. I have a titanium rod and screws in my back. and My back hurts so bad right now. I endure chronic pain. I'm told constantly by doctors, quit traveling. Don't do what you are called to do. It's too hard on your body. But God is the dream giver. He's the dream protector. And when you feel so abandoned and so lonely, and when life lets you down and people let you down, when you keep your eyes upon God and God is allowed to heal you and touch you, then God will bring a most amazing woman into your life that will love you, that will be with you, that will go with you. I don't know why I've shared the specific stories that I've shared tonight, but God does.
There's somebody in this room, if only tonight is for one person, God loves you that much. And He knows that life has been so challenging, so painful, and God wants to tell you tonight that the dream is not over. He knows. He knows what you've endured. He knows the pain. He knows the fear. He knows the uncertainty. He knows every specific part that the world and life has tried to steal and kill and destroy. But God's come to give you life tonight. And this night is for you. And the victory is for you. And your past has taken enough. Your past has destroyed enough. It's stolen enough. Your past, what you've endured, what you've went through, maybe that nobody else knows. God knows every detail. And He's here to tell you tonight, this is your night of victory. This is the night that things are going to be turned around. This is the night that joy replaces sadness. The thoughts of life will replace thoughts of suicide. Healing will flood your body. Pain will no longer dictate what you do. But rather God will release in you an anointing. And God will call you and use you and equip you and anoint you. You will use your testimony. You will use your shattered past. You will share those moments just as Joseph sitting in that prison cell that he did not deserve just in the same way you did not deserve not to be loved. You didn't deserve to be walked out on an abandoned by a spouse or a father. You didn't deserve not to know who your mother is. You didn't deserve to be abused. You didn't deserve to be made fun of. You did not deserve to be rejected. But yet God in His infinite love and mercy reaches out to you and He is your dad and He is embracing you right now because He knows that you are special enough and important enough to give you the dream that will make a difference.